Hello and welcome to another episode of Interview with Schizophrenic. I'm your host, Duncan Samrasinghe, and today I have the great pleasure of having Zach with me. Zach is 26 from London. Uh, he has a schizoaffective um, diagnosis and he also has some other conditions as well. Um, so welcome to the show, Zach. How are you doing today? Hi, Duncan. I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, so, Zach, how, how have you been uh, coping with uh, the COVID? It's almost ending now, hasn't it? To be truthful to you, Duncan, I don't leave my house very often anyway, so um, it, it didn't really affect me. I'm not somebody that goes out clubbing. I'm not somebody that goes out drinking. I don't. I, it, it didn't really affect me, to tell you the truth. And yeah. I haven't worked for four years, so it didn't really it didn't really impact me greatly, to tell you the truth. Apart from the queuing and everything, um, that was about it. I think. I mean, I kind of consider it that it's kind of finished now. I don't wear a mask anymore. Um, and I kind of consider it, it's over. But I know it's not. I know the official line is that it's not, but... I'm in the same boat as you, to be honest with you. I mean, re- I was wearing a mask for a long time, but uh, um, at my mental health place that I go to, they said to me, they said to me, you don't have to wear one anymore if you don't want to wear one. We have to carry on wearing one because we're a, we're a mental health place and it's, it's obviously a medical place, so we have to wear a mask, but it's yeah. completely up to you um, if you want to wear one or not. So I haven't been wearing one either, to be honest with you recently yeah it's more comfortable okay Zach let's start so the first question I ask is always the same and I don't think any needs to be changed I want you to tell me about how your mental health journey began what um how old were you what were your first symptoms how you got into the system um how you dealt with um, hospitals and doctors you know how it impacted your life you just like to talk about that and you know um, whenever you need to take a break take a break and I might ask some questions um, it's just up to you to um, go into as much detail as you want. Brilliant. Okay. Right. So when I was around, it's a long time ago now, as I say, I'm 26, but I think I was around the ages of four to eight. Um, I would, I was very, very paranoid. I was anxious, actually, I would say at the time, not paranoid. It grew into paranoia. I was very paranoid, um, very anxious. Sorry. Um, I, I couldn't sleep at night. I was constantly saying to my mum and dad, there's there's, there's people coming to get me. And my mum and dad were saying, there's no one coming to get you, son. You're fine. Wait, you're safe. You're in your home. And I just, I couldn't sleep. I mean, I, I slept in my mum and dad's bed near enough every single night up until I was about eight or nine. Um, and then that just sort of ebbed and flowed. The anxiety just sort of ebbed and flowed until I got a bit older. Um, I went to school. I had a few experiences growing up uh, around the ages of 12 to 13. Um, I was mugged a few times and it really heavily impacted my life. Um, I didn't really realise it at the time. I sort of got on with it and carried on my life. But uh, the muggings that happened to me, they they happened in such a sporadic way that I just wasn't expecting it. And it it just fed into my anxiety and it turned my anxiety into paranoia. And um, I would be coming home from school at like 14, 15 years old on the bus and I'd, I'd have my hoodie up like all over my face and I wouldn't want to see anyone in case I bumped into the people that mugged me. I was so frightened and I would, I would jump off the bus and literally run home. I would, I would run. I'd have my hoodie on so no one could see me and I'd sprint home. And um, that gradually over the years, sort of my anxiety ebbed and flowed, as I say, and the paranoia came and went. And I think I was, I started a relationship with my fiance now, um, which is now my fiance. I started a relationship with her when I was 16. And things went really well until I was 17 and I had my first psychotic break. Um, all I can remember is being at my grandma and granddad's house and they absolutely loved Christmas and it was around Christmas time and they had their whole house was full of Christmas stuff and they had, they had Santa Clauses everywhere. They had um, snowmen. They had all kinds of different things. And I just remember they started talking to me Um I can't remember now exactly what they were saying because it was like eight years ago now, nine years ago now, but they um they just started talking to me. They were just saying whatever to me and I would sit down, I would sit down apparently and just have conversations with these dolls and gradually things got worse. My mum didn't want to accept, that they were, well not didn't want to accept, she didn't really understand and she didn't know how best to treat me. So she, she took me to, I was already seeing a mental health specialist for my anxiety and she took me to them and said, look, something's not right with my son. Like this is going on, this is going on. And they said, okay, um, please come to a psychiatric ward, um, a, an under 18 psychiatric ward. And I said, okay. So they brought me down there and they assessed me 
and they said to my my grandma and my mom I'm sorry my mom and my granddad that um that I needed to be admitted into hospital and my mom and my granddad were so frightened because of all the stuff they'd seen on the news and they'd seen on the TV they they didn't want me going into hospital at 17 years old so they said to the staff they were like look We'll we'll take care of our, of our, of of him over Christmas. He's going to stay with us. We're not going to let him go out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And whatever they said, it was against what I wanted because I actually wanted to be admitted because I knew that I really wasn't well. But um, I went with what they said and I just stayed at home and gradually things just improved. Um, yeah, no, sorry. Before that, I I, I became delusional. Sorry, I. I, I I became delusional. I started to believe that I was Hitler and I started to believe that my girlfriend was um, plotting against me. And I was just coming out with all these mad, mad things. And um, gradually it just went. I don't know what happened. It just sort of disappeared. It wasn't, I wasn't on any medication. It didn't put me on any antipsychotics. It just disappeared. Um, And then from the ages of like 17 to 22, 23, I was fairly well. I mean, I actually started working when I was 18 um, as a painter and decorator, and I, I was doing all right. I, was, I started going to the gym when I was 20, 21, got to a decent shape. I felt really good about myself. And then the people that I was working with, I stopped trusting them. I started what I now know as voices, but at the time I started hearing them talking about me. And I'd say to them, like, why are you saying that about me? I'm standing right here. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't really know I was hearing voices. I just sort of, I don't know. I just, it was weird, but I just sort of, I, I just got on with it and I just carried on. Yeah, whatever. I didn't really pay any attention. And as the months got on and on, went on and went on and went on, I was just getting more and more unwell. And um, eventually I quit my job. I had a massive argument with the boss and I said, yeah, you're just trying to exploit me. I believe that they were all exploiting me because I was on the lowest wages out of everyone there because of my age. And I believe that, I was doing a lot more work than than what I was being paid for, and I believe that I, I, I still believe this now that I was being exploited because so I was doing a lot of work for the money they were giving me compared to the other people my um, older than me, and I fell out with my boss over it, and we had a massive falling out, and that just sent me on a downward spiral. Um, I think I was around twenty two, twenty three when this happened, and I stopped working out. I stopped going to the gym. Um, I started getting really depressed, really, really depressed, a depression that I'd never felt before to the point when I couldn't get up. I stopped brushing my teeth. I couldn't shower. Um, I was just living in my bedroom. I was at my parents at the time and I was just living in my bedroom. It was, um, I wasn't really leaving my room. I wasn't eating for days. I was staying awake for days on end or I was just sleeping just ridiculous amounts, like really loads and loads and loads. And, um, I didn't really, I still didn't really realise I was unwell. I was, I still, I carried on, I carried on with my day-to-day activities. I I didn't have a job, but I had a little bit of savings that I had, that I had from, because I'd worked for sort of six years or whatever. So I'd saved a bit of money up and I just sort of lived off my savings for a while. And um, I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready to work at the moment. I don't feel right. I, I tried to do a few jobs. And I ended up falling out with everyone that I, I was working for. And I, and I started noticing a pattern. I said, this isn't right. And then I started working with my dad and me and my dad fell out and things just got really bad. And I lost a lot of weight. I was about 85, 86 kilos when I was in my prime, when I was really fit and I, I was really muscly. Um, I was about 86 kilos. And then I dropped down to about 70. And um, I just, my, I, I became so skinny. My arms, at the moment, I'm quite skinny, to be honest. I've lost a lot of weight recently, but... I just became really, really unwell. I was weak. I was skinny. I went to my doctors and I said, because I wasn't actually under any mental health people at the time because they, um, I was under IATS when I was younger and CAMS, but they'd obviously, because I was alright for such a long period of time, they just sort of let me go. And um, yeah, it, it was just a weird one. Um, I started, I went to the doctor and I said, these are the symptoms I'm having. I think that I'm suffering from ADHD. And I thought it was all down to ADHD and autism. And I said, I think this is, I think I'm struggling with ADHD. And she said, okay, then I'll refer you to a specialist. So I went to go and see an ADHD specialist and she, she sat down with me for an hour and she said to me, you've got really bad ADHD. I can't believe it's taken 23 years for, for you to be diagnosed. And I said, yeah, I'm quite surprised too, because I struggled a lot in my childhood. I was kicked out of school. I just didn't concentrate. I was very angry growing up and just no one ever picked up on it. And, um, she said to me, I think there's more going on than just ADHD. So can we have another appointment where you're going to be assessed? And I said, okay. So I went for an assessment 
and she said, we think that you've got something called borderline personality disorder. I said, oh, okay, then what's that? And she explained it to me. And I said, oh, yeah, that does sound a lot like me, the highs and the lows. Like I wake up in the morning feeling pretty good. And then when five o'clock comes, I start getting low and all these things. I just tied it all into borderline personality disorder. And at the time, I, re I received the diagnosis of ADHD. I received the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And I received the diagnosis of Asperger's. And I put all my illnesses down to this. I thought it was all on borderline personality disorder. That explains everything I've experienced. That explains all the voices. That explains everything. And that was it. So during this time, I was... I'd, I've, messed, I've missed a bit out, but it's okay. Um, during, the, during this time that I was being assessed for the borderline personality disorder and all the other things, I was... I felt like I was having a spiritual awakening. I was adamant that I was having a spiritual awakening. Everyone around me, I was telling them, yeah, like I'm, I'm feel really good. Like all of the stuff that's been happening to me for the last year or whatever, I feel really good now. I started, my uncle died when I was about 19 and I was really close with him and his death was out of the blue. He wasn't ill or anything. He was only 43 when he died and it just, it, it was just completely out of the blue and I didn't process it. I just pushed it to the back of my mind and I didn't cry. I didn't deal with it. I just, I don't know, I just, my brain just deleted it. And um, I started I started waking up at three o'clock in the morning every single night to door handles rattling in my room. So I would I would just like the door handle would go and it would wake me up and it would be literally between three o'clock and four o'clock every single night. And then I sort of I started after like the third or fourth night, I started saying like, yeah, this is weird now. Like, and I Googled online. I said like spiritual awakening 3 a.m. And it said online. This, the the spiritual awakening hour is between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning, and this freaked me out even more. So I was like, oh, wow. So I was like, yeah, I'm having a spiritual awakening. Then eventually I started waking up to things playing with my hair, things touching my feet. Um, I could feel a presence in the room when I woke up. I don't know how to explain it, but I could feel a cold presence at the end of my bed. And eventually I just, I just ignored this. I just thought it was normal. I don't know how at the time, but I just thought it was normal. I just... I didn't really tell anyone about it. I didn't really talk to my girlfriend about it at the time. I just, I sort of just, yeah, I sort of just left it. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. And it got worse. It got progressively worse. I started seeing what I believed to be angels at the time standing. So my bed would be like this and they would be standing facing me like that. They, they would be facing me head on and they would be, st they'd be standing over me because I'd be lying down. And they'd, they'd tell me things like, Zach, you're an angel. You need to grow your hair just in a really nice, calm way, like, you're an angel, you need to grow your hair so you can be more like us. And I was like, oh, okay. So I decided to grow my hair. So my hair became down, like, long over the course of however long I, I grew my hair. I started um, behaving really weirdly. I started going out in the streets telling people that they need to pick litter up off the floor. I would go up to random people and be like, you've just thrown litter on the floor. You can't do that. Like, it's really bad. And I'd, like, have a massive go at people... Um, I'd start like telling people where they could park, where they couldn't park. I started, I wasn't, I didn't get too deep into the religious side of things because I'm not a religious person. And I'm, I'm an, uh, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist cause I do believe in spiritual things, but I'm not religious in, as in, I believe in a set religion. So I didn't, I've never really gone too deeply into the religious thing, but I did believe that I was an angel. I believed that angels were real and I believed that I was an angel and I started to get, really angry as while all this was going on and I believed I was an angel I started to get really angry I became I became smashing things in my room like I'd, I'd have these thoughts where I just like really impulsive intrusive thoughts where I'd be sitting down drawing and I'd say I had a glass next to me I'd just pick the glass up and just chuck it at the wall like I'd just impulsively just pick the glass up and just go bang and just chuck it at the wall or I'd start punching things I'd stand there in front of a brick wall and I'd just go boom 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 or I'd stand there hitting my head just bang bang just until I, I nearly passed out and it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and I still had this all down to borderline personality disorder until eventually um my mum was diagnosed with cancer um 
at Christmas. This at the time it was Christmas time, and my mum was diagnosed with cancer, and this sent me on a really, really, really bad spiral because me and my mum weren't very close, and our relationship was really bad at the time. And I believed that she, I was really strongly believed that my mum abused me, and she, she had, she was the reason that I'd become the way I'd become. And at the time, I was really delusional. I believed that my mum and dad had like abused me. I believed that they'd treated me in a really bad way growing up and it, it led to me becoming like that and because my mum had out of the blue got cancer I was like oh my god and this just sent me over the edge I didn't know how to cope and then I started hearing voices um yeah um telling me to do things um I started hearing I'm not sure if you know you've probably seen the film Harry Potter um there's Voldemort Voldemort in it I started hearing Voldemort he started telling me to kill I started hearing the voice like kill kill in my ears when I was out and I'd sort of be like whoa and I still put it all down to borderline personality disorder and then I um I'm not sure how I ended up in the hospital because I'm not sure if you you um you relate to me on this one but I forget a lot that happens to me when I'm in psychosis um a lot of it a lot of it I forget and I think it's partly due to antipsychotics and partly due to not wanting to remember. So your brain sort of deletes it. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember because I was so deep into psychosis. This is the deepest I've ever been into psychosis. I was so deep into psychosis at the time. I believe my mum was going to die. I believed all this stuff. And I, I, was, I was so scared because I was like, we have such a bad relationship. And it got to like March time, April time. And, and I became really, really unwell. And um one of my friends has paranoid schizophrenia and he said to me, Zach, I think it's time for you to go to the hospital. Um, and obviously I'd never been to the hospital up until this point. I was nearly, nearly admitted when I was uh, 17, but it never ended up happening. And I was really scared to be honest with you, Duncan. I, I, I was really frightened. I didn't know what to expect. I was expecting it to be people smashing things everywhere. And I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And my, my, um, my community mental health team said to me, we've got a bed for you. We'd like you to go into hospital. And I said, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll go. I said, I'll pack all my stuff up and I'll go. And um, my mum and dad took me to the hospital. It was about eight o'clock at night. I remember going in and I had really long hair at the time. And this lady just walked up to me and she just started calling me Jesus. And <laughs> it just sent me a bit funny. It's, I, I was like, oh my God, these people are going to be harassing me all the time. And um I was being really nasty to my girlfriend at the time. I was being really horrible to her to the point when she couldn't handle being around me. Like she would come to my house before I was hospitalized. She'd come to my house and she'd walk through the door and she'd say, hello. And before she'd even get a chance to take her shoes off, I'd rip into her. I, I would become, I just, I was so delusional and just convinced that everyone around me was out to get me. And I think she'd say words. And to me in my head, they'd come across a different, her face started, people's faces started turning red. I don't know, this, this is something other people experience, but people's faces started turning red. So I'd have a normal conversation with people and they would suddenly turn red and they'd turn into the devil and I'd get really scared. And um, I remember what happened now. I ran at my mum with a kitchen knife. Um, me and my mum were downstairs and we were having a massive argument and I was just going off on one. I kicked my shoes and they hit the ceiling. I was screaming, you're, you're, you're a C word. I, really bad things to my mum. And um she was saying, she said to me, she was arguing back with me and she was feeding into it. And I, I just remember getting a knife out of the, a really big kitchen knife out of my drawer and just running at my mum. And then um, my mum moved out of the way, thank God. But um, that's when things went really bad. And that's when I was admitted to hospital. And then fast forward how many days or hours or whatever, I was hospitalised. Um, and my girlfriend broke up with me because she couldn't handle the way I was being. I was so, I was being so... Oh, what's the word? Irrational. I become very, very irrational when I'm unwell, and there's no reasoning with me. Anything you says, if I've got something in my head, there, there is no, there's no telling me otherwise. Whatever I think is whatever I believe, and she just couldn't deal with me anymore. She, she loved me. She loved me to pieces, but she got to a point when she couldn't be around me for her own mental health. She said that I was making her unwell by the by my behavior and she broke up with me and this really hurt me because we've been together for like seven years and um really hurt me and it sent me into an even worse downward spiral and first of all hospital was all right I went in um they, they checked me into my room I was like oh wow I'll get my own room um I had a lock on my door which was fine I had a working shower I had a working tap I had a decent bed I wasn't complaining um at all and then 
uh, I met a few of the other patients. I was really helping people. I was, I was, uh, because I went in there involuntarily, I was allowed to go out for a cigarette whenever I wanted. And I was also allowed to walk to the shop eventually. And, um, so I would go, I would get other people papers and other patients papers and I'd just help people generally. However, I could, if someone wanted a drink, I'd pick up a drink for them, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was becoming, I was becoming sort of, I was fitting in I, for the first time in my life. I was around people that were like me and I was so happy. I was, I'd gone from being like depressed to being like, these people are like me. Like these people are experiencing the same things as me. I've never been around other people that are like, that are, that are saying, yeah, I've experienced that. Yeah, this happened to me too. And then we laugh about it and we say, oh, wow, how crazy was that or whatever. And I've just never met people like that before. And um, the hospital I was in, they asked me if I'd like to take a, if I'd like to teach an art class because they'd seen the art that I'd been doing over the time that I was in there. And they said to me, look, you're really good. Would you like to teach a class? And I said, yeah, I'm well up for that. I'd love to teach a class and to teach people and to help people. And the over the next few days, I was meant to be doing a uh, teaching people how to paint and draw and whatever, just anything to do with art. And a new patient came in. Um, he came in in handcuffs and he was brought onto the floor and I was really wary of him because I was very quiet at the time and I was very, I was withdrawn. I wasn't really speaking. My voices were very intense. I was very quiet. And this guy was the complete opposite of me. He was screaming. He was really aggressive. And this just threw off the whole balance of the ward because everyone on the ward up to that point knew each other and got on really well. And it threw the whole balance out of whack. And I was very naive then. I'm not like this anymore because I've been in hospital a few times now, but I was very naive then and I didn't, I thought everyone that was in there wanted to be my friend and I didn't really understand that people were in there for different reasons. Um, and this guy, he was fine with me. He started talking to me. He said to me, oh, what's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And we started, we got, we got into conversations about all different things, about the Illuminati, about all different kinds of things. We was both, we was both really unwell and we got into different conversations and I got on fairly well with him. And then, one day um, I was I came back from the shop and I think I had a bottle of Coke or some sort of drink and I was sitting down and I, he saw me open it. I literally opened it in front of him and I went and I said to him, do you want some Coke? And he said, yeah, I'll have a bit. And I said, all right, have some. And I gave him half of a bottle of my Coke. Didn't think anything of it. Um, then later on that evening, I, I came back from my leave and he started screaming at me. I, I walked in and he was like, you put something in my drink. You tried to rape me. I said, whoa, what? what? And he was like, yeah, you, I'm... I'm feeling all these feelings now that I never had before. Don't talk to me and all this. And I was like, all right, then fine. I won't speak to you. And then like, I didn't talk to him. And I thought that was it. I just won't talk to this guy. He's obviously got it in his head that I've put something in his drink. That's fine. But he was next door to me. So he was constantly screaming my name. Like, Zach, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get you. You put something in my drink. And I had to listen to this for hours on end. Every single night that I was put into bed, I had to listen to this guy screaming, threatening to kill me. And it really scared me, if I'm honest with you. At the time, I was very vulnerable and I was very skinny and he was a lot bigger than me. He was twice my size in, in weight and, and height-wise as well. He was a lot taller than me. I'd say he was about a foot taller than me. And he was very big compared to how I was. I was very fragile and I, I just wanted to get better. And he was he had it in his head that he was really adamant that I'd put something in his drink and that I was um, I was a rapist, basically. He told, he, told the whole, he told the whole ward that I was a rapist. He had it in his head that I was a rapist. And gradually people stopped talking to me. All the old ladies that were my friend and that I was getting the paper for, they stopped talking to me because they believed him. Um, I, I told the staff that I was really frightened that this guy was going to do something to me and I didn't want to do anything back to him. I said, that I'm, I'm really scared that this guy's going to hurt me. And the, the, pay, the, the staff didn't care. They really didn't care. All they said to me was, oh, well, he's not going to do anything. There's too many staff here to do anything about it. And I thought, but there's no staff here. We're in the room. There's like 15 of us and there's one staff member. And then it just got worse and worse. I mean, I remember drawing one day. I was sitting down with my headphones in and my voices were particularly bad that night. And I was sitting down drawing and I just, in my own world, had my headphones on. I was in the communal area drawing and he just came up behind me and ripped my headphones off my head. And I was like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, leave me alone because this is going to be a problem now. You, you're, you're actually physically touching me now. And the guy said, and he was like, I don't care to fight me. Come on and fight me. And I was like, mate, you're going to kill me. I'm half the size of you. I can't fight you. Like, I'm really, I'm frightened of you. I haven't done anything to you and I'm frightened of you. And the guy was like, I don't care. Smashed a chair in front of me. The staff just watched it all happen. They didn't care. They, they really didn't care. They watched it all happen. They just turned their backs. They were just, just didn't care while it was going on. 
And um, I reported it 15 times to the staff, 15 times it was on record that I reported that I was frightened of him and that he was going to hurt me. And um, nothing was done up until the point when I was allowed out on leave. And I went out on leave and I went into the pound shop or some sort of savers or something. And I, I bought a kitchen knife. I was so scared that I actually went out and bought a kitchen knife. I thought, this guy's going to this guy's gonna kill me while I'm in hospital. The staff are not going to do anything about it. The guy's going to kill me. So I went to the shop, bought a kitchen knife, bought it into the ward, wasn't searched, bought it straight into the ward, had it on me down the back of my trousers the whole time I was there. And um, just, just not to harm him, not at all to harm him. Not My intention at all wasn't to walk up to him and stab him or anything. I was just so frightened that he was going to attack me and the staff weren't going to do anything about it and I was going to have to fight for my own life. So, I, yeah, I was walking around with a knife for a day and then um, it got so bad that I eventually called my parents up and I said to my parents, look, I'm still an involuntary patient here. I don't want to be here anymore because this guy's making my stay here so bad and he's going he's gonna to he's gonna hurt me. And the staff members told my parents that if he hit me first and I hit him back, because he was more unwell than me at the time, I would be deemed liable. So even if he was to walk up to me and punch me square in my face, if I turned around and even did anything back to him, I would be the one that would be held accountable, which I don't know if that's true to this day. But I think that I was being lied to. But I'm not, I'm not too sure, Duncan, to be honest with you. But I believed it. And I was really sure that if he would attacked me, I would I would be the one that came out worse. And I said to my mum and dad at the time, please come and get me, please, because I can't, I can't be here anymore. I'm really scared. And um, my dad came to get me. And in the time my dad came to get me, I'm not sure if you know, but when you're in hospital, you have to charge your phone and your headphones in, in, a, in the UK. You have to charge your phone in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a room. You have to knock on the door and say, I would like to charge my phone, please. Here's my phone. You get a sticker on the back of your phone that says your name and then they charge it for you. And then they give it to you when, 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 it's, on, when it's charged or when you ask for it. Um, while I was being discharged from the hospital and I was, they were giving me my medications, et cetera, et cetera, and asking me where I was being discharged to, the guy managed to knock on the door and break into the room and get my phone and my headphones and he just smashed my phone on the floor, smashed my headphones on the floor. And I mean, stood there absolutely kicking, kicking the hell out of all of it. And I just got this phone as well. And I had no, I, I was down to no money. All my savings were gone and I just got my phone. It was the last thing I bought myself, a pair of headphones and a phone for hospital. And the guy smashed it and I was just so upset. And I didn't... Um, I didn't actually have anywhere to come out of when I was in hospital because I was expecting to go back to my mum and dad's house, like I, where I'd been living for the past 23 years. And they actually, social services actually got involved. And because I pulled a knife on my mum, my little sister was only, I don't know how old she was at the time, but she was under the age of 16. Uh, I think she was around 13, 12, 13. And they basically said that I wasn't allowed to live there because it wasn't safe for her. It was either me or her that was allowed to live there. They could either have me there and, and she had to go or have her there and I had to go. And obviously I was 23 and she was however old she was. And my parents said to me, son, I'm really sorry, but you can't live here anymore. So I came out of hospital still really, really unwell. I hadn't got better at all. I was still severely, severely unwell because I hadn't had the time to recover because this guy had made things 10 times worse. He'd made my voices worse. He'd made my paranoia worse. He'd made everything really bad. And I was discharged and my grandma and granddad said I could live with them for a few nights. And I was discharged to my grandma and granddad's. And I went from, I could only stay there a few nights though because they were, they're really unwell themselves and they couldn't cope with me. And I ended up living in my car for six months, Duncan. I was homeless for six months um, and no, I didn't have anywhere to live. Sorry. You know, I think, um, you know, your story, what has happened to you up until that point, I think it, I think it shows how much you had to go through, how much trauma you had to go through just related to, the, to your mental health condition. You know, the real life trauma that happened as a result of being a young man, a vulnerable young man in the system, you know, there's so much extra stuff you have to deal with. You know, this is what people don't understand, Duncan, and I didn't understand it. I mean, as far as like the worst thing of it is, this guy he told me I just had a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder at the time. Borderline personality disorder, ADHD, complex PTSD, and um, Asperger's disorder, which is now called autistic spectrum disorder and um, non-specified, uh, sorry, unspecified non-organic psychosis. That was my diagnosis at the time. 
And I just put it all down to borderline personality disorder. But the guy that was actually harassing me in hospital, I, I understand now he was unwell. I've been in this place myself. I've actually been in hospital and been in the same way. I, I forgive him now. I, I was really angry with him for a long time. But now I've learned to forgive him. And I actually think, you know what? Dude was unwell. He was, he was really unwell. And he was really convinced that I was trying to rape him. So in his head, everything that he was experiencing was right. And I've forgiven him for that. But at the time, I was so vulnerable and I didn't know these things went on in hospital. I thought these people were supposed to be there to protect you. Like, how was it possible that he smashed my phone and my headphones when it was in their care? It was in the room that they had locked. I mean, I, I was in hospital back around um, the turn of the century, the turn of the millennium. So it's a long time ago now, over 20 years ago. Okay. And it was, it was different back then. It was a bit more free and open. We had a smoking room, you know, we had wards. We, um, I think there were single sex wards. Um, you know, if you wanted to charge the phone, I could charge it whenever I wanted to. You know, it was different rules back then. Um, but I do remember there were people screaming. There were people being violent. And I, when I was, you know, probably around the same age as you, and I, w- I would just ignore it or go to the TV room. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what it's kind of frightening. It is frightening at, at that age when you're dealing with um, a serious uh, uh, psychotic um, condition and people are acting in such a disturbing way, you know? So I I do recall that now looking back. I, I remember pe- people screaming at night in the corridors and, yeah, all sorts of things going on. Um, See, I'll be honest with you. Every si- I've been in hospital three times now um, and every single time I've been in hospital, I've had a different experience. If you want to elaborate on it, I'm more than happy to, but... Each experience for me has been totally, totally different. Like, I mean, really, really different. And um, the last time I was in hospital was this year in in, uh, April, I believe. And um, it was actually really good. I actually really enjoyed my stay in hospital. I met a lot of people that were really nice. And I was the guy that was nice to everyone. And and no one was in there and wanted to harm me. Everyone was like, hi, I'm... I'm Mandy. What's your name? Hi, I'm however, Steve. How are you doing today? And everyone was looking after each other on the ward. Like I could see my friend. I made a friend in there at the time, uh, Martha. And she, I could, when any, any day that like, I could see she was having a bad day, because we had the same, I'd, we had the same similar diagnoses. I'd go up to her and I'd say, do you want to hug Martha or, or do you want to talk or whatever? And she'd do the same for me. And it, it would be, it was just good. It was really good. It was really supportive. And I had my dog there that was coming to visit me regularly. And it was just, it was a good stay. It was a good experience. The only thing that I would say was the psychiatrist that was in there, he he didn't agree that I have schizoaffective disorder. He put everything down to borderline personality disorder. And my my team, my consultant psychiatrist was writing to him, saying to him, like, no, Zach has schizo- schizophrenia um, symptoms that are not related to borderline personality disorder. And he was adamant and kept telling the guy, the guy, Zach does not have just borderline personality disorder. He doesn't meet the, I don't quite meet the criteria for borderline personality disorder. I do on a few bits, but not fully. So I, I identify myself as more schizoaffective. That's the schizoaffective and ADHD. They're the, they're the two main um illnesses that I, I identify with myself if anyone asked me if I have anything wrong with me or whatever that's what I would always I would always say personally but the doctor at the time he was adamant that I didn't and I, I eventually when I was when it became that I was involuntary uh, informal sorry I um I discharged myself because me and the doctor in there were just on a totally different page he wanted to keep me in there for four months but he only believed that I had borderline personality disorder yet wanted to keep me in there for four months and it just didn't make any sense and um I came out of there on my own back and I dis- I was discharged into my own my own team my 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 own I don't deal with the home treatment team because I've never had very good experiences with them they come to my they've came to my property before and they've spoken really rudely to me and I've had to kick them out and they've said things to me like oh you should just get over it or why don't you just oh oh I've got this problem but I get over it and I'm like yeah but dude you don't have schizophrenia or like you like you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I, I, I was in the with the home treatment team about eight years ago and and one of the chaps would talk to me and say he would he would say exactly the same sort of thing. He'll say, Oh yeah, I got over this in my life. And and I'm thinking, you know, it's not the same thing, is it? You know, because you know, when you're dealing with a psychosis, I I think also, especially when you're so young and you're dealing with psychosis, um, it's is it's very challenging. Um and I think it takes time to build up your insight, your understanding of the illness. Definitely. So you, can, you can combat the symptoms with with your own insight. 
and it takes a while for that. And and even when you've got that, it's still it's still difficult. Definitely, I agree with you one hundred percent there. I mean, it's a journey, Duncan. I believe it's a journey. I, I I really believe. Since I've been on the forums, to be honest with you, I've I've gained so many. I've met so many different people that are like me, and I I, I relate to people because on a, on a day to day basis, I'm not sure if you know the statistics with schizoaffective disorder, but I believe that it's zero point. It's either zero point zero three or zero point three percent of the population have it. So it's a very it's rare, you know. There's not a lot of it's people rare. that have it. It's rare. Um, I, I know schizophrenia is one in a hundred. Um, so schizoaffective is rarer than schizophrenia. So it'll be less than that. Um, it is a you know it's it's rare, but when you add up the numbers for the population of the UK, for example, it we are talking hundreds of thousands here. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I so you would be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've never really looked at it like that. So there are there are a lot of, of folk who who have this who go through um, psychosis. Um, so it's it's I you know I kind of think um, it should be dealt with better. You know because I, I think because I went to uh, I went to visit a friend in a in a mental health ward a few years ago, and now it's like a high high secure prison. It's, yeah. It's, oh, definitely. It's, it's, cha- it's changed. It's more about keeping things safe and locked down whereas you know it's a heavy-handed approach i suppose you know you know i've just thought of something duncan when you asked me earlier how i dealt with covid i was actually in hospital during the peak of covid i was actually in hospital last march april and it was ridiculous they weren't adhering to any of the rules they were putting everyone what they wanted to do they wanted to keep everyone that they tested everyone as they came in, but the test was still like a four-day test at the time or something. So they wanted to test everyone when they came in. Then they wanted to put everyone that had been tested in one side of, of, of rooms and everyone that hadn't been tested in the other side. Sorry, everyone that had come back positive in one side of the rooms and then everyone that hadn't been tested in the other side of the rooms. And then they were moving people from the positive, uh, sorry, negative that when people tested negative they were moving the negative patients to other hospitals and other wards but what they were doing was they were letting everyone mix in the communal areas so it didn't make any sense so if someone could someone could come through and have and someone could be a new patient walk in there and have covid and someone who had already been tested and four days ago and come back negative would interact with that person who'd have covid so they'd now maybe have covid and get sent to a, a hospital thinking that they were clear but you obviously know, they weren't you know i think um the mental health staff who work in these wards, I think they go a little crazy. Do you think so? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I, think... I believe the mental health staff that work in these wards don't really care about us, if I'm honest with you. I yeah. can't say all of them. I can't say all of them, because that's not fair to say all I of them. I think they're but... probably afraid, you know. Um, they're probably afraid because they don't understand the condition. Um, they're, on, they're afraid of, of, of the unpredictability of it. So they're not sure what to expect. So I suppose they're kind of shut down. Um, but yeah, I, I, gen, I genuinely feel that every, it's always the case when I would go to as a service user, it always, it's always so disorganized and it's like, as if they're not thinking clearly, you know, the, the staff. I think, I think they, um, they pick up a little bit of craziness from from us. You know, it's funny when you say this, right? Because I've I've met all kinds of staff members in in the hospitals. I've met staff members the first time when I was telling them about what was going on, and they just ignored what was going on. They could see the guy screaming at me, saying he was going to kill me, and they were just not doing anything about it. Whereas I've also met staff members that are so so nice. I mean, like they're lovely. They'll go out of the yard to do anything for you. I remember when I was in hospital this year, and I had no cigarettes on me because my cigarettes got lost in the. I'll tell, you if I, I'll tell you a story, actually, Duncan. Um, this year, when I was admitted into hospital, in the hospital that I was in, there, there, there's a ward. Um, I can't remember the name of the ward, but what it is, it's an assessment ward. So you go from... You, because there was no beds available, because it was really busy at the time, you'd go into this ward, right, and you'd be expected to stay there for a maximum of two days, I think it was, before either being discharged back into the community or before being transferred to an actual ward. And it was crazy. I mean, like there was you would be you there was chairs. There was chairs in there. There was it was like a hospital, like not a mental health hospital, like a normal hospital. There'd be curtains. There was curtains, like one curtain in between, but not they didn't go all the way around. It just went in between the patients. So, and then all it was was a chair. And then like at night time, they'd press a button on the chair and it would recline back. But it was so uncomfortable. And they kept, it was all right. 
you were allowed to walk around there. Um, you were allowed to go out because everyone in there was informal. So you're allowed to go out. You're allowed to have a cigarette. That was all right. But I remember um, I was really unwell. And they actually said to me at the time, like I was very aggressive at the time. And I was very, my voices were very negative. They were telling me people were trying to harm me. I was convinced that a team of CID were following me everywhere I was going. I was, for some reason with me, I know I said earlier, there's a stigma on mental illness, but because of the things that happened to me in my past with the trauma, I still remember the guy that the guy that mugged me when I was um when I was younger, and I still remember his face, and I still actually live in the area that he lives in. So I've seen him a few times, and when I get when I get severely severely ill, I really want to hurt him because I I blame everything that has happened to me on this yeah. guy because of yeah. I mean it, that probably isn't the reason, but it will be it will be something which would not have helped. Um, it's, it's not that, probably not the reason that I'm ill. No, it's probably not. But when I get ill, I, I believe that it is for some reason, and I can fixate on it. You know, you know something uh, mathematically, which is kind of reassuring. The statistics stay pretty much the same. So the the statistics of how many people become ill with schizophrenia and schizoaffective are pretty constant. So it does look that that it's mostly just predetermined. You know, and obviously, light events in life can trigger it. They can trigger it maybe earlier or trigger it at all. This is a very right. interesting subject, Duncan, because I actually spoke to somebody earlier about this, and um, they were saying to me they believe a lot of mental health is trauma based, and I believe a lot of health, mental health is trauma based. But you touched on something that I would like to reinforce. I think you can you can have it you have it predispositioned in you. I believe when you're born, and I believe what happens in your life. Yeah. Will, will account to whether you will actually be I don't how do I explain it do you understand what I'm trying to say yeah yeah well, I know you mean so you're, there's basically events in your life which will trigger the onset exactly that's what exactly 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 um I think I think that's the same for all of us because we've all had some sort of trauma but um other other people have trauma as well and they're fine you know I think we're just we just have it it's predestined maybe in our genes or something um that makes it makes it come to the surface really for some reason trauma seems to i've from from what i read a lot about mental health i'm really interested in it um really really interested in it especially since i've become unwell and for me i get it's really strange for me i i don't get um, I, i'm not psychotic all year round i'm not like there's a, a typical person that has schizophrenia what I, I what i think anyway i'm not psychotic all year round i become psychotic around march april time progressively psychotic february but i i actually get hospitalized around march april time and um it's weird it's strange because i i, I know other people that have oh sorry i forgot where i was going with this duncan um oh trauma um i was touching on the subject of trauma Trauma and psychosis. I believe trauma, and I think personally that trauma and psychosis are linked because people, people that have are attacked, people that are raped, people that things have happened to, they 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 try and block it out. I believe, and I believe doing that for such a long time can. This is my personal opinion. I believe it can sort of manifest itself into psychosis from people that I've spoken to and people that I've read about, and that's just my personal experience with it. But like you say, whether they would be predispositioned for that anyway who knows this is this is yeah i mean it's strange that it's sort of you know i don't have the statistics but this is what i've read i'm sure i've read that it's mathematically quite constant that it's always remains one in a hundred so but it's something to investigate you know i didn't know that i wasn't i wasn't um, yeah yeah this is what i've read so but anyway zach i think you know we're coming up to time now um, I think you had quite a lot to say, and I didn't ask many questions. But I, I've I've said this to a few guests. You know, you're you're welcome to come back for a second episode. You know, because I think it's good to to talk about this sort of thing. Obviously, you've got a lot to say, which is which is great. Um, so you're welcome to come back for another episode. I'm gonna I, I hope to do that. I hope to start inviting people back for more episodes so they can continue their story. Yeah, um, I've really enjoyed it, Duncan. As I say, I had a lot. The problem is with me, I've got really pressured speech and I have a lot to say and it all sort of comes out in one go due to the ADHD. No, 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 it's fine. I think, you know, what you had to say is very interesting because I, I, I really, what really strikes home with me is that, you know, when you have a serious mental condition like what you have, um, you know, relationships are difficult. Family life affects family life, affects relationships. 
affects your work. And then when you're in hospital, it affects your relationships inside there. It affects your whole life. And then you're dealing with the symptoms on top of that as top well. That, yeah. When yeah. you're alone, when you're alone and you've got to deal with the symptoms on top of that, yeah. it's a lot to deal with. Definitely. Um, and, 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 and it's just such a bad way that we, when we find there's a stigma that we can't talk about it in normal life. You know, if we talk about it in normal life, we're kind of shut down, and and the media portrays people with psychosis as kind of killers. It's always like, yeah, the guy was diagnosed with schizo- you know schizophrenia and he killed someone. You know, that's a minority, and they do that. Most of us are, you know, are quite peaceful and thoughtful. Duncan, one hundred percent. I'll be honest with you. Most of the people that I've met in my life that are really unwell are very quiet. They're not, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not loud. They're not, unless they're going through mania, that's different because I'm quite a quiet person. But when I become really manic, I get really loud and really, just really hard to deal with. And I think, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, there's such a stigma. This is what I wanted to come on today, Duncan, as someone who's 26. I'm just, I wanted to talk about it. You know, the other thing is that, um, you know, sometimes we can blame ourselves. We can attack ourselves. And we kind of, and that kind of forces us back into our shell, you know, when actually we are dealing with something that is quite tough. And and I think the general consensus of mental health for all mental health conditions is that talking about it is the best way to deal with it. And and we just we just gotta keep on talking about it, expressing ourselves, um, you know, because that that's the that's that's the most healthy way of dealing with it. The Just problem keep... that I find, Duncan, sorry to cut you short. The problem that I find, Duncan, right, it's a lot of people don't. They say they understand, right? I, I've had a few best friends growing up, and I was really close with them. And as I've got older. They just don't want to know me anymore because they, at the times that I've been psychotic, they just don't understand what's going on. And I've tried to explain to them, I have schizoaffective disorder. It's a mixture of basically of schizophrenia and bipolar. And I also have a few other illnesses, but they just don't understand it. And I don't know whether it's through ignorance or just, they, they don't, it doesn't resonate with them. They don't, they can't, they can't like, uh, what's the word? They can't. Um, relate. relate sorry they can't relate they don't like you said they same as like the staff in the hospital they can't relate because they haven't yeah. actually and, been and through prob- it themselves they're, they're probably also afraid you know it's also when you're when you're in, in your early 20s you know folk men like to be bravado be strong you know and when somebody has a condition which makes them vulnerable this can be threatening to them it can actually threaten them you know Definitely. so Definitely, I agree with you there, one hundred percent. And anyway, I think I think we're going to wrap it up here, Zach. What I want to ask you is, um, I'm going to tag some music onto this episode, so I'd like you to tell me what kind of genre of music you would like me to add to this episode. What would, would you, you like, like me to send you a song or just a genre? Just t- tell me, uh, like, a, you can you can tell me a song now or tell me a genre that you like. Yeah. Um... I've got a song um, that I really like at the moment that I'm listening to a lot. Music really, really, really helps me. I don't know how it is for yeah. you, but music really, really helps me with my voices, with just happiness, just with, in general. And I, I, I've got songs for every mood that I'm in as well. So I listen to music. And um, yeah, I'm, I've got one that I'm listening to at the moment. It's Fleetwood Mac Dreams. Um, and I, really, I don't know whether that would fit in with your, with your podcast, though. You might have to... No, I, I can't actually play that exact track oh you get done one yeah i forgot about that yeah yeah i forget okay. about that yeah i know they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll come for me the police will come for me like, <laughs> i can't do the play, but i'll what whatever I do, you like well, honestly i'm into all kinds of music i like everything from heavy metal to, to indian music i like all kinds of music honestly okay I'm so let, let me just choose something um maybe kind of something singer songwriters type ish music yeah something like that Something you know, indie just, would be nice. Something indie. I like a lot of indie music, individual music. Um, just, you know, like what you don't normally hear on the radio, things like that. Okay, so let, let, me, let me have a look. You know, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. You know, you know and, and I think you've got a lot to say, and that's interesting because I also have a lot to say. And I think people who go through these experiences have a lot to say. And we've, we've, got, to, we've got to do that. We've got to speak. Um, and you know you're extremely welcome to come back for another episode and we can talk about it more um, 
I just yeah, I'd, I'll have to sort that out. Yeah, definitely. Listen, Duncan, and, whenever you, whenever you you feel like doing it, like I said, whatever works for you, I'm easy, mate. I, I just want to. Well, I think what you're doing is really good, so I just want to help you as much as I can, just to because it. it it is is destigmatizing, destigmatizing it, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Okay, thanks, Zach. Um, absolute pleasure to speak with you. I think we can end it now. So um, that was Zach telling his story of his schizoaffective and his ADHD and his PTSD and his BPD, his journey as a young man going through the hospital system, and and you know I think it was a, it was a work is extremely worthwhile contribution. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me on, Duncan. I really appreciate it. Yeah.